Turn to Psalms 126. Psalm 126. The title of this message, it's been percolating in my mind for a while. The title of this message is, It's Just Music. It's Just Music. Now, as you're turning to Psalm 126, I could come at you from the direction of having been a professional musician. I could come at you from that direction, you know, from a professional standpoint. Yes, I was a professional musician, performed in front of thousands of people at different times. Opened up for big names that would not impress you at all if I told you about that. I've written on Music Row. I've worked for a royalty company on Music Row. I'm speaking like the Apostle Paul. I speak as a fool. Okay, but I'm not going to come at you from that angle. I'm going to come at you from the Word of God about the influence of music. You can't see what it teaches in the Word of God or what's going on around us and just say, well, it's just music. It's not just music. Let's read Psalm 126 and 1. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. There is no doubt that the construct or the actual act of singing is something that God has developed himself. I'll prove that to you from the word of God because that's something that's going to go on at the end of time. We'll see that as we close out here this morning, Lord willing. Y'all pray for me that this won't sound like an old man's rant, okay? But it will be specific instruction geared towards helping you grow in grace and go home and check your playlist. And when I was a young man or young adult or young teen, there was a stigma on getting music. First of all, you know, I usually had to borrow money from daddy to get it. And then you'd go and you'd buy these funny looking little round black things, you know, that were called records. They even had these little singles. We had record players and you had these little singles where you had the 45s, you know, we had to put some kind of different adapter on there. I never could get mine to work, right? Sometimes it played too fast, sometimes it played too slow. But I'd go and I'd Make sure nobody was looking at me or watching me, you know, when I went on and got that particular piece of music that I knew mom or dad would not approve of. And so there was a stigma to that. But now there's no stigma today because all you got to do is just click a button. Nobody can see what you're choosing and what you're looking at. Now there's some, but let me say this, somebody's keeping up with it for sure. (laughs) You know, Google's watching you or, you know, whatever. Somebody's watching what you're doing. And more importantly than that, the Lord is watching you and me. I include myself in this. I need this. In 1957, Jerry Lee Lewis recorded two titanic rock and roll hits, one called Whole Lot of Shaking Going On and the other Great Balls of Fire. And at the session for Great Balls of Fire, this was in Memphis, Lewis told the famous record producer Sam Phillips, who owned and operated Sun Records where he was recording, Lewis told the producer that the music he was playing was worldly music, rock and roll. It meant he was broken off from God. That's, that was what Lewis said, okay? He said, I have the devil in me, he shouted. If I didn't, I'd be a Christian. You see, part of what I'm speaking to you about today is the, the devolution or the devolution of, of music. You could probably get a play on words and get the devil out of that, couldn't you? Not the evolution of music, but the devolution of music. Music's not getting better. It's getting worse. It's getting more base and more corrupt. Sometimes I will go and look up lyrics to songs that I hear in passing or songs that I know that the young guys are listening to. My young guys better not be. And I'll go look up the lyrics, especially if it's a rap song. And as soon as I see, you know, what the acronym stands for or whatever, I'm just like, I can't even put this in front of my eyes. It's so corrupt. Now, I'm not just here to pick on rap music, okay? There's some bad country music. There's some bad bluegrass music. Did you know that? 
There's bad music in all genres, rock and roll, everything. I'm not here just to pick on one, but I will say this, that of all of the genres of music, there's no question that the most base of all of that is, is the rap uh, music because it's just cursing. And I don't understand why the women's liberators don't latch on and, and crucify rap music because it demeans and belittles women like you would not believe. Just go read some of the lyrics. I, I actually don't. It's so explicit. It's horrible. It's horrible. I don't understand why they don't just devour each other on all those issues. But I'm not just picking on rap music. You know, Barbara Mandrell sang about, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. And some of you don't even know who Barbara Mandrell is. Sister Julie does, though. She's laughing. And maybe you're like me when you were a child. Sometimes mom and dad just let the radio play, and I'd be singing along to something about adultery or drinking, you know, and I'm five years old just carrying on with it, you know. I don't know what it means at that point. I mentioned the Statler brothers, that we listened to a lot of the Statler brothers growing up and went to their concerts. Mom and dad took us. Chris knew the words to just about every song. Sister Paige thought I said the Bellamy brothers, which would be on a lower level rung than the Statler brothers. But hey, the Statler brothers had some bad stuff too, if you listen to the content. So listen, I'm like the Apostle Paul where he says, if you want to get away from sin, if you want to get away from all of this, then you got to go out of this world. Everything is permeated with sin. Sin is pervasive, but it still doesn't mean that you just let everything go and let the floodgates go. Having been in the professional music world and played a lot of different stuff, stuff that I'm ashamed of, stuff that I didn't even believe in, I just sing it because it was popular. And I remember when we had kids, I thought, well, you know, I went through my singing playlist. I'm not talking about on the phone, but things that I would sing. And I was like, I can't sing that anymore. And I, I got to change the words to this one. And I don't, you know, because I didn't want to expose my kids to something that came out of my own mouth. But if you don't think that music has an impact, you're kidding yourself. It's not just music. Listen, there's songs that have got in my head that I cannot to this day get out of my head. There's a colossal hit in the 90s called Achy Breaky Heart. It's got two chords in it. I mean, anybody with half a brain on the planet could sing that song. It's so easy and it's so dumb. It's just bass and makes no sense. And it's just got this repetition. But it gets in your head and you can't get it out. Maybe some of you are familiar with Baby Shark. I've never listened to that song all the way through because as soon as I heard the first couple lines, I was like, I'll never get that out of my head. And it's dumber than Hakey Breaky Heart. The kids played this game and it had a song on there called What Does the Fox Say? I can't get that out of my head. If you've never heard these songs, don't go listen to them because they'll get stuck in your head. Tom T. Hall wrote a song about songs getting stuck in your head. He said, that song's driving me crazy. I want to hear it again. So I thought of the verse of Scripture, God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. It's amazing what man has done. And I don't mean that in a complimentary way. It's astonishing and it's a marvel what man has done with music, especially in the way that he has corrupted it. A classmate that Jerry Lee Lewis went to Bible school with, yeah, Jerry Lee Lewis went to Bible school before he became a, a mega star. And he said he remembered running into Lewis years later and asking Jerry Lee Lewis if he was still playing the devil's music. This was later in Lewis's life. And, and listen to this. Lewis said, yes, I am. But you know it's strange. The same music that they kicked me out of school for is the same kind of music they play in their churches today. The difference is, I know I am playing for the devil, and they don't. You have to take that up with Jerry Lee. I mean, I believe a guy like Jerry Lee was probably a child of God. You think about some of these tortured artists who maybe die young or, or live horrible lives, but they still call on the name of the Lord. That's the devil's work to try to put somebody in a box and in a position to where they can't be productive for God. 
You know, think about a guy that goes through his whole life saying, man, I'm, I, you know, I'm terrible. I, I shouldn't be singing these songs, but he keeps on singing them. You know, he's either a wicked reprobate or he's a child of God who's tortured. You see? Y'all are mighty quiet today. When I was about 11 years old, my granddaddy McCool, he requested for me to learn an old song called The Wildwood Flower. He said, I'll give you $20 to learn that song. That was his second favorite song. That was his second favorite song. He said, son, I'll give you $20 to learn The Wildwood Flower. That was an old, some of you have heard of it, some of you never have. It's an old Carter family song that was made popular, a huge number one hit, you know, back in the 30s and 40s and so forth. And so I learned that, you know, and I, it got me to thinking, what would I pay my grandchildren $20 to learn? Say, so here, son, here's $20. Will you please learn to play Rap God by Eminem? Or would you learn to play Sam Smith's Unholy for me? Or what about, here's $20, son. I want you to learn that song. It's my favorite, Drunk on a Plane. <laughs> See, we're not just picking on rap or pop here. Or what about this one, son? I'm going to give you $20, and you, you would, would you please learn from me? God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. <laughs> Have you ever heard of such blasphemous type stuff? So look, everything is tainted with sin. But that doesn't mean that you open the floodgates and you give into it. There's some good secular stuff out there. And I'm not here to promote what I like to you. I'm here to promote the glory of God and singing. And it may cause you to look at your playlist and look at what you're listening to and maybe pay attention to the lyrics. Now, parents, do you know what's on your children's playlist? It'd be a good idea to check that out and look at some of the lyrics sometimes because a lot of times I can't understand the lyrics. <laughs> I have to look them up and see what they say. But it's more than just music. Let me prove that to you from the Word of God. Look at 1 Samuel 16 and 23. Saul, the king of Israel, had... The Spirit of God had withdrawn from him, and he was, he was out of his mind in sin. And he would go off on rants and tirades and pitch fits, you know, about like a three- or a two-year-old sometimes. And, he, and so the men of his court, of the king's court, said, we got to do something about this. Let's get somebody to come in here and play some calming music to him. And so in 1 Samuel 16 and 23, it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David, they got David, he took his harp and he played with his hand, so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Do you understand that music has an impact on you? It can stir up evil spirits within you. And I don't mean demons that jump in your body. I don't mean that, but it can, it can stir up base emotions in you. Natural, carnal emotions. Or it can stir up spiritual emotions. You see? Okay? You see where Saul, who was, out, who was just in complete rebellion against God, when David would come in there, and I promise you he wasn't playing Eminem's rap god to him. He was playing the lyre or the harp. And I, I wonder if David, who wrote all of those psalms, would maybe hum some of the psalms or maybe sing some of the words that he wrote, those beautiful God-inspired hymns that he wrote out there keeping the sheep. He'd come in and he'd play for Saul and it'd calm him down. You know, that's, if, try it sometime. You know, be careful in, in this test mode, but put on some beer-drinking, adultery-geared country song and see what it makes you think. See? You listen to that kind of stuff all the time, it's going to make you think things that you shouldn't think. You see? Man, y'all are quiet. What about 1 Samuel 18 and verse 6? This is after David, by the help of God, has just 
killed Goliath and they've wiped out the Philistines and come out from under their rule and they're free. They're a free nation now, once again. And they're coming into the city in victory. And there's people lined on both sides of the street as they come into the city victorious. And Saul is there in triumph. And then David's there. You know, he's just, he's cut off the head of Goliath. And as the women begin to come out, they begin to strike up a, a chant or a song. It says, it came to pass as they came, when David was turned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. This is not a bad thing, you understand? They're celebrating the victory of being freed from this wicked nation. And I can just see it on one side of the street are, are, are these women, and on the other side of the street are these women, and they begin to chant back and forth to each other. And as they chant, and as, as they're coming in, you know, the, the, the victorious army and Saul, they're waving, and you know, they're looking and saying, praise God, we are victorious. And the women get, begin to sing a song. And they sing, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And as they're singing on one side, one side, Saul is singing his thousands, and over here on the other side, and David his ten thousands. They're singing back and forth. They're happy. They're rejoicing. And Saul's going along. What did they say? What? They have ascribed ten thousands to David, which was very appropriate in that circumstance because Saul was too much of a coward to go out there and face Goliath. He should have said, that's right. This is my boy. This is my armor bearer. This is the guy that's going to be the head of all my armies. But it says that Saul was wroth. He was, can you just see him smiling? That's a beautiful song. What'd they say? All of a sudden, in the midst of all of this joy, he's become carnal and base. Don't tell me music doesn't have an effect on you. And Saul eyed David from that day forward. You see the effect that a song can have on you? Now, I'm going to give you several sites. I'll be happy to give them to you later. We're going to rush through these real quick. But think about singing in worship. That's not something that Primitive Baptists just came up with, you know? <laughs> that's something that's been from time immemorial. And the first mention of song, though, the first mention of a song, doesn't mean they didn't do it before, but the first mention of a song is in Exodus, the 15th chapter. And this is a number one hit like no other. Exodus, the 15th chapter, as Moses and the people of Israel have crossed the Red Sea and they're standing on the other side of the Red Sea and they have just watched the mighty supreme God who laid a trap for Pharaoh and his army. They have just watched in awe as the waters of the Red Sea crashed down upon these men who no doubt were gritting their teeth and driving their chariots and, and forcing their horses, even with the chariot wheels removed, ready to kill the babies of Israel, ready to slaughter the women and the mothers and the wives of Israel, ready to kill the men of Israel. They're driving like thunder towards them, and they've just watched the Lord crash the water down upon them, drown them all. And the greatest superpower on the planet at that time is decimated and no more. And they're watching the bodies of the Egyptians wash upon the shore. And you can see those mothers, they're holding their babies. That man was going to kill me. That sword would have driven through the heart of my child. You think it was quiet? You think you could have heard a pin drop? And then up from the silence. Moses begins to sing. He sings a song of deliverance. I can tell you it wasn't a beer-drinking country song, and it wasn't Rap God by Eminem. I know I'm picking on that one, but that one kind of stands out. 
It wasn't a rap song. It wasn't a rock and roll song. It wasn't a pop, name your poison. It wasn't jazz. It was a God-honoring, glorifying song of deliverance on the seas of the, on the shores of the Red Sea. Did you know that's a number one hit still? Over in Revelation, the 15th chapter, you read about where they're singing the song of Moses in heaven. I tell you, I'd like to get the royalties off of that song, wouldn't you? I'm not talking about royalties and money. I'm talking about the heavenly, glorious treasure of royalties that would come from a song that was sung by a man here on earth on the shores of the Red Sea, and he taught it to the people, and then it's still being sung in heaven today. That's a great song right there. What about the dedication of the temple? If you read carefully about when Solomon dedicated the temple, if you read Kings, you won't catch this. But if you read 2 Chronicles, you'll find where Solomon had singers there. And as the Holy Spirit, Shekinah glory, descended upon the temple, and it literally forced the priests out of the temple. It was so thick. And and I don't know if it made them catch their breath or what. It probably did. It forced them out of the temple. It says that the Levites and the singers there began to sing praises to God as he entered that temple that Solomon had finished that his father David had laid the supplies for. What about one of the greatest songs that's ever been written? The Song of Solomon. You know, we only have one. It says that he wrote many, but we only have the Song of Songs, as it's called. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved spake and said unto me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Oh, I wish I could sing it to you. I don't know how. I don't know how it sounded. Several years ago, I was reading a book to the children. And yes, they were children at that time. They were like little prisoners. They couldn't escape. I'd just corral them up and say, now you're going to listen to this book. (laughs) Parents, it's okay to do that. So we read this book called The King's Cupbearer, and it's about the days of Nehemiah. Very good book. I highly recommend it. It's fictional, but it's based on what happened in the days of Nehemiah. He was the king's cupbearer. And one of the characters in that book is a young Jewish woman who was in captivity in Babylon, and it talks about her going off of the veranda in the backyard, you might say, or the back porch area, and she walks out into the garden. And as she walks, she begins to sing. She begins to sing one of the Jewish songs. She begins to sing the Song of Solomon. And I know my kids think I'm crazy because I'll be reading a book or something and all of a sudden I'm just, (laughs) you know, this guy's erratic. Dad's lost his mind. (laughs) But it moves me. I don't even hear the music, but I can just picture this woman in captivity, this young girl walking through the garden and she's singing the Song of Solomon. Rise up, my beloved, my fair one. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of birds has come. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. I tell you, that moves me. Music will move you in a good or a bad way. What about Psalm 137 and 1? It says, when they were in captivity by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. We didn't feel like singing because we were in captivity. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. These captives, they said, play us a song. We've heard you guys are great singers. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? (laughs) You ever feel that way? How can we sing godly, spiritual, uh, oriented towards glorifying God music in the strange land of Babylon that we are in where constant noises are coming at us? I've been picking on the gas station lately. Listen, you know, you can't even go to the gas station without hearing a song. It's playing, it's blaring from the gas station. Well, a dear sister just relayed to me not too long ago that that touch screen at the gas station has a little menu over on the side and you can turn it off. 
Praise God. Everybody go turn it off when you get your gas now, okay? I didn't know that. I felt such relief over that. I told that sister, thank you for that timely deliverance. I don't have to hear the songs of Babylon while I'm pumping gas and trying to concentrate and meditate in that one little moment of silence. Did you know Psalm 137 by the rivers of Babylon? Did you know that a disco group made a number one hit out of that in the 70s? Can you imagine? Don't go look it up. It's horrible. You get it in your head and you can't get it out. So you say, well, Brother Tim, I feel like you're getting on to us about our music. Well, I don't like to say get on to you, but I'm getting on to me too if, it, if I'm getting on to anybody. Because I have to go back regularly and see, is what I'm singing, is it okay? Is what I'm playing and listening to, is it okay? Are there words I need to keep, stay away from? Are there themes that I need to stay away from? Ecclesiastes 7 and 5 says, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. So if you feel a little bit rebuked today, it rebukes me too. It rebukes me too because I've been in the thick of all of that stuff. The noted 18th century Scottish political activist Andrew Fletcher said this, Let me write the songs of a nation. I don't care who writes its laws. He struck onto something, hadn't he? Now look, I love music. I love it. <laughs> I grew up singing music. I grew up as, uh, as far back as I can remember. Mom and bro Brother Chris and myself, you know, we were in a trio that Mom forced upon us, and sometimes she had to br uh, bribe me to sing. But I sang. <laughs> Y'all heard maybe Mom tell the story. I was about four or five years old, and we just finished singing, and Mom had bribed me with a McDonald's hamburger. She said, I'll go get you a McDonald's hamburger after church if you'll just sing, honey. <laughs> And so we were walking out the uh, door of the church, shaking hands with the preacher, you know, and I looked up at mom and I said, you're going to go buy me that hamburger now for singing? And mom was, oh goodness, oh goodness. <laughs> I've been singing since I was a little fella. I love music. But I've learned through the years that music has an effect on you. It definitely does. A young lady was sharing with me an experience that she had where she went to another church, a non-primitive Baptist church, where they worship differently where they have solos and things like that, you know. And this young woman got up there, attractive young woman, and she began to sing a praise and worship type song. And she began to move and sway, move her body. And this young woman looked around in the congregation at the men who were just gawking and in awe at this attractive young woman who was up there singing a solo and swaying you know, like something you would see on the halftime show at the Super Bowl. Are y'all with me? Is that a little too close to home? I mean, you could sing praise and worship type stuff and still dishonor God. It all depends on your attitude, your actions, and so forth. Satan is the king of the hook. Did you know that? Satan is the one that first started the hook. Now, when I was in professional music, I was trying to find the hook all the time. I've told y'all before how if Sister Tracy threw a little piece of paper away that I had saved with a, a line on it, I just lost it, you know, because that might be the hook. That might be the number one hit that I'm looking for. And I used to check the Billboard country charts every week, almost every day, and I'd see what was there, and I'd listen to those songs, and I'd think, now I need to learn the craft of this type of songwriting so I can conform and get on that chart. You see, I'm crazy like that. I was. I'm still kind of crazy. But that was my craft. That's what my life was about at those times. Satan is the original catchphrase king. You know, think about it. The Garden of Eden, thou shalt not surely die. That's catchy, isn't it? 
Sounds pretty good to a natural person. Thou shalt not surely die. I know God told you you'd die, but thou shalt not surely die. What about in the book of Job? He goes crazy with catchphrases. In the book of Job, he says to God, doth Job fear God for naught? It kind of goes together, doesn't it? Well, he gets even better the next time God comes and talks to Satan. And Satan says, skin for skin. That'd make a good country song, wouldn't it? Skin for skin. He's the original silver-tongued devil. And he's trying to divert glory away from God. And he's doing a pretty good job. A few years ago, I was asked to come down to the library and sing for some five-year-olds. Now, I've sung in front of thousands of people, but I've never been more terrified of going to sing in front of about 10 or 15 five-year-olds. And I was like, well, what do you want me to sing? And the lady was like, well, just, you know, just sing, you know, she'll be coming around the mountain. You know, old McDonald had a farm, things like that. I was like, okay, so I had to go learn those or relearn them. And so I went down to the library, and there's these 15 little five-year-olds there. And, you know, their mamas have got them there, and it's, it's reading time. And now this weird old guy is going to sing for them, you know, and lead them in song. So I sang. I was sweating bullets. I've never been more nervous. I was like, what if they boo me? What if they throw something at me, you know? <laughs> so I get up there, and I sing. She'll be coming around the mountain, and I got them to sing. And old McDonald had a farm. I got them singing. I played through, you know, Yankee Doodle. I don't think they knew that one. <laughs> but, but we went through all these songs, and I'm, I'm out of gas. I don't have anything else. So I'm sweating, literally. I'm going to cold sweat, and I'm nervous, and the kids are just, you know, having a good time. And I said, does anybody want to sing? <laughs> anybody here want to sing? And this sweet little girl, sweet little five-year-old, beautiful little girl, she says, I'll sing a song. And so she comes up. I say, thank God, she's saving me, you know. So this sweet little girl comes up, and she begins to sing a song. Acapella. You know, I didn't know, even know the song. So she begins to sing, going to take my horse to the old town road. Going to ride till I can't ride no more. And I thought, this is kind of catchy. I was trying to find the chords, you know. It sounds like a little kid song, you know. Whatever. And then the, the, uh, all the other 15 children start singing. And the mamas start singing. They're all just, you know, and I'm going, I don't know what's going on. But I knew something was wrong when she got to the chorus because she began to say, can't nobody tell me nothing. Can't nobody tell me nothing. It's kind of funny, but kind of not. Bass, carnal, stirring up the flesh. And I could see that little girl going back to mom trying to teach her or discipline her. And she says, you can't tell me nothing because Billy Ray Cyrus and little Nas X said, you can't tell me nothing. Music has an impact. Now, as we close, Zephaniah, the third chapter in the 17th verse. Music comes from God, and God's going to take all music back to him. Zephaniah 3 and 17, he says, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. This is a reference to the last day. This is a reference to the gathering in heaven. And when we gather in heaven, one of the things that God is going to do is He's going to sing over you. Brother Luke, we've got to throw some Lord of the Rings in there, don't we? If you watch the extended edition of Return of the King, you can't get it in the regular edition, but if you watch the extended edition of the Return of the King, and if you read the books, you'll see that Tolkien has songs all throughout the Lord of the Rings. We don't know what they sound like, but I think they did a pretty good job in the extended edition of Return of the King as Aragorn stands there. Where do you think he got that from? Where do you think Tolkien got that from? Aragorn stands in front of the whole crowd, the hobbits, the people, the elves, everyone, and he begins to sing. He sings over the crowd. It made me think, when I read this, it made me think of that. Your king one day, as you stand before him in the righteousness of his son, he will sing over you one day. He'll take all music back to himself. Isn't that glorious? There won't be any of this filthy, 
beer drinking, tear in my beer, drunk on a plane, I can promise you he's not going to sing rap God. He's the one true and living God. There is a music that feeds the flesh, child of God. And there is a music that feeds the spirit. What's on your playlist? Maybe you need to check the children's playlist. Maybe you need to check your own playlist. And it's okay. There's some good stuff out there that's secular. There's some good stuff out there. You say, if you don't know where to start, talk to me. I know hundreds of songs in my head. I spit up my good memorizing scripture brain on learning songs, eagles and different things. You could just name them. I'd learn them if they were out there and I liked them. There's some good secular stuff out there that you can listen to, but you need to be careful because it will feed the flesh. If you listen to the demeaning of women in something like a rap song where they speak of them as nothing more than just an object, it's going to have an impact on you. It's going to. There's a music that feeds the flesh, but God's going to take all music back to himself one day, and all music is going to be geared towards glorifying his name. I mentioned to you that Granddaddy's second favorite song was The Wildwood Flower. And I know you've been dying sitting there wondering, well, I wonder what his first favorite song was. I know y'all been sitting there thinking that. I know you have. His first favorite song was Amazing Grace. And he didn't have to pay me to learn that one. Let's stand and sing Amazing Grace. Me.